0: And I think art that transcends Picasso, Van Gogh, all those guys, you don't need an education. You don't need that language to look at it and feel, you know, the love, pain, worry, uh, joy, you know I mean? All those emotions come through that work, you know, to a young child can look at that and understand that, you know, and understand why art exists by looking at that work. And, um, i'm hoping that i somehow fall in that zone where people can look at my words and and know that it makes them think or feel something
1: hello and welcome to here in la east hollywood edition today we talk with Seenan williams Seenan is a musician composer artist husband and dad whose art studio is in the heart of some of the best food spots in east hollywood so we will be talking about food and coffee in his stomping grounds as well as the band he's been in for 20 years dengue fever What's interesting is two separate parties nominated in as a guest. First producer Jordan has jammed with him on a few occasions, but Patreons Greg and Molly actually made the introductions, and just like that, there we were having a conversation that you're about to hear. So if you know of someone who would shine in this format, let them know and have them reach out to us. Email me at tony at tonypierce.com. It's just that easy. So now, Thanks to Molly and Greg. Please welcome Cenan Williams. Hey everybody. I am here with Seenan Williams in Is this is this uh, East Hollywood?
0: I would say East Hollywood, yeah. yeah. Okay. Definitely East Hollywood.
1: We're in uh Cenan's art studio mm-hmm. in uh, East Hollywood. At uh, on the floor is uh Floyd. Yep, the dog. Mm-hmm looks like kind of like your your typical mutt if you were gonna draw a mutt right yeah he's a mutt he's a
0: terrier mutt I you know some people get dogs you know off the street and then they assign them some sort of a breed because they need something uh, special or uh, of a certain uh, class <laughs> but this guy is an LA City street mutt uh, of the terrier nature
1: and he's laying on his side now very yeah. happy dog. Um kind of curly hair, feet look a little dirty from uh what is this? Uh is this Western?
0: Uh yeah, this is Western.
1: Yeah, so you're close to uh a weed store that I used to go to a lot.
0: Smart weed next door. Yeah. I, this is this an ad for smart? <laughs> it could be, but you know what's something interesting about this neighborhood? Yeah. Is that my grandfather used to have a real estate office in the forties, early fifties. Uh, just across Santa Monica, so a block from here, and what he and his buddy uh, owned a movie theater on the same block, which which is now like a offices like it 's all split up into all these different businesses
1: are, are we are we pointing uh west so we're, closer we're, to we're Hollywood actually forever? pointing
0: uh western north, so just north of here okay, and so my grandfather, instead of being in his real estate office, he used to go and hang out in the projection room with his friend and drink and smoke cigarettes all day (laughs) and it's pretty cool that uh here i am every day coming to my studio which is a block from where my grandfather had his office you know
1: that is so awesome yeah uh you appear to be a black man
0: uh i'm mixed my dad's black from mississippi okay um my mother is uh was born in europe during world war ii jewish Wow. And immigrated here just after the war. So I'm first generation European on one side, and uh, and then I'm first generation West Coaster on my other side because my dad came out here when he was 15 to live with his father who he didn't know. Wow. Yeah.
1: So black and Jewish, just like Lenny Kravitz.
0: Uh, yeah. yeah I guess, Slash. Oh, yeah. There we go. It's a good combo. Right?
1: Uh, Lisa Bonet. <laughs> uh huh. All right. Kind of Sammy Davis Jr. Mm. Although he wasn't born Jewish You know, okay We could, you know
0: I'd, I'd go shoulder to shoulder with Sammy So I'm okay with that yeah.
1: uh, So, okay A black man owned mm-hmm. a real estate
0: business? No, he was uh, Austrian Jew, Austrian Jew Oh, the
1: Jewish grandpa
0: Yeah Okay Which I hope there were some black people Who owned a real estate business In the late 40s, early 50s L.A. I mean, maybe if he was in the one of the, you know, Walter Mosley books, you right. know, Ezekiel Rollins, maybe, you know, but uh I, I'm sure it did exist and there were some black folks. But no, he was um he was he immigrated here actually as an adult, you know, escaping the Nazis. Mm. But he was he didn't come over here as a refugee. He came over here as an immigrant just after the war. So they survived the war by being in Switzerland. Then they came over just after his uh uh, I mean, I guess lucky for him, his sister had moved to the States before the war. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of gave him a path of immigration.
1: You're native Angelino. Yes. Where did you grow up?
0: Uh, I grew up in the Miracle Mile. Oh. Yeah. I grew up um, basically just off of Wilshire, kind of, you know, between Wilshire and Olympic
1: mm-hmm.
0: on a street called Ridgely, which is right by Hauser. Yeah. So walking distance from the museum, LACMA. La Brea tar pits la Brea tar pits, yeah, and then um you so saw my Roman grounds as a kid was all over, but um you know just that area between Wilshire and
1: Pico mm-hmm. and Fairfax
0: and um uh, La Brea
1: I feel like uh Miracle Mile and mid city is kind of a black kind of place it's 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 becoming less so now, yeah. But was it when you grew up?
0: Uh, My block was like the United Colors of Benetton. I mean, there was, uh, you know, the uh, West African family across the street, uh, the Creole family, the Korean family, uh, the white family, the the Asian lady two doors down, the Eastern European. So like my particular block was pretty incredibly mixed. I think once you got to Pico and south of Pico, it was predominantly black. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's really, really changing, changing. And
1: and not too far from Little Ethiopia?
0: Yeah, no, Little Ethiopia when I was a kid was only a, it wasn't called Little Ethiopia. It was a very Jewish strip there on Fairfax Mm -hmm. when I was a kid. Right. And sits in it is. I mean, there were maybe one or two Ethiopian Ethiopian restaurants we used to eat at when I was a kid. Yeah. But then over the years, it it has changed quite a bit. So what,
1: uh, which high school did you go to over there?
0: Um, I went to a lot of high schools, but the, the one I graduated from was LACES, Center for Enriched Studies, which was at Pico in Arlington. Okay. And my mom was an educator, so she was always, so it was a magnet school. So it was a small public school. And um, that's where I graduated from.
1: When I think of Arlington, I think of these houses behind gates.
0: Yeah, it's where- that, what's the name of that, uh, what's the name of that? I mean, it's a West Adams is the neighborhood. Okay. And they're not necessarily behind gates, but they had closed off streets to close through through traffic. Right. So there's only a few entrances. So it was kind of turning, and it was a very affluent black neighborhood when I was a kid. I think it, that's changing now too. Yeah. But um, but they just didn't want as much of the rush hour traffic circling through these beautiful old craftsmen Quaint neighborhoods They want to keep The neighborhoods quaint Which they did Yeah But it wasn't gated It felt gated But it wasn't
1: I, I guess I've seen Big fences But there's yeah. not A guard tower Or anything like that No
0: uh, But no, you're right at Fremont place Is where they have That big old That's off of Wilshire You know that spot Yeah Yeah It'd be cool If you can get in there Somehow I have as an okay. Uber driver Oh there you go there Danny you go.
1: Elfman lives Behind those gates Oh okay okay And it kind of feels Like a Danny Elfman place In that there's no Real trees Yeah There's no street lights
0: yeah, it's just like I've yeah, half I, I, done. I've been in there delivering art. I used to work uh, moving art around Los Angeles and I was in there then. And I just remember just uh, I, I don't know if you call him a, a crash of crows. You know, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Or a murder of crows. Uh, I think a murder of Raven. Murder there you of cr- go. Uh, I, I don't know, but it might be a crash <laughs> just littering the neighborhood and just no people. Yeah. no cars no nothing it's very uh it's
1: very eerie. In it's there. almost like he designed this neighborhood yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right well you mentioned art we're in your art studio which is fantastic this mm-hmm. is this is as big as some people's apartments um, and maybe it was an apartment are there apartments in here or are these people, all art these are studios? all
0: live workspaces. some okay. people live and work in their space but I don't I just use it as a workspace
1: yeah. Yeah, and I'm seeing I'm seeing your art on the wall here. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I knew more about art so I could tell our audience what it is. But can you uh, list off some of your uh, uh, influences? Um, I um, my art is
0: is somewhere rests between landscape and abstract paintings. Um, I use text, and so a lot of my influences are artists that use text. But at the same time, I try to avoid them because I don't want their words or their, um, the way they string ideas together, together to infect my mind. Mm -hmm. But, um, uh, um, so I use text, but usually very, uh, obscure or abstract more to, uh, be a question or create question or, or mystery or confusion mixed with images that, um, Um, could somehow either support or deny uh, the words that are written upon the page so so for me um, you know it's it's interesting being just audio because if there was a visual component to this I would I would not be uh, even giving you guys this much about my work there will be a
1: visual component okay okay. we have a, a website Okay. Where I will take some pictures afterwards. Yeah. Or you can provide some if you want. Yeah. And uh, we'll put it on the website at hereinla.com. Yeah. Um, and also through our social channels. Okay, great. So through Instagram and stuff.
0: Well, I think there was, it might have been Frank Zappa who said this. I'm not sure if, if he was the one that said this, but there was, and I'm not sure if this quote is correct, but it's like writing about music is like dancing about architecture. <laughs> I, you know, it, it, it applies to art as well. You know because I think the idea of it being made is for it to be looked upon and that is its purpose. Its purpose is not to be described or or um, you, you know I mean it is meant to be discussed but not always by the person that created it because oh. because the discussion is on the page. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah for others to discuss but for me, I have a hard time um, um, articulating anything other than what I already did. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Well, uh, so we have a mutual friend in Greg McIlvain. Yeah. And we were roommates when he was uh, at Otis uh, Parsons uh-huh. uh, getting his master's. Oh, he's a great artist. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was fascinating to me hearing him talk about art and all these other art students talk about art because yeah. there's this whole vocabulary that I wasn't aware of. Yeah. And they're able to, to talk in a way that... I don't know if I truly understood it but I appreciated what. Well that's
0: that's kind of um I worked as a art mover, art installer for years and years and years and even the word art preparator, right? It's like even like it's not even in the dictionary and the to define my job would be an art preparator, right? But I don't like using those words so much because the first thing it says is what? You know what I mean? <laughs> but if you say I move art, I install art, then that makes sense and I think the art world is kind of screwed up in that way kind of like being a lawyer or something like that. It's like the language is only to perpetuate yourself within that world and not an exclusionary to others that want to experience the same thing. Yeah. And I think art that transcends Picasso, Van Gogh, all those guys, you don't need an education. You don't need that language to look at it and feel, you know, the love, pain, worry, uh, joy, you know I mean? All those emotions come through that work, mm-hmm. you know, to a young child can look at that and understand that, you yeah. know, and understand why art exists by looking at that work. And, um, I'm hoping that I somehow fall in that zone where people can look at my words and, and know that it makes them think or feel something. Um, um, and I think also, as an artist, Once I define something, that is its definitive definition. Whereas I don't want my work to have a definitive definition. So once, if I were to explain my particular thought, it would be closing off other thought. Do you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, There's a great uh, uh, documentary on Netflix uh, about Andy Warhol in his diaries. Uh And one of my favorite lines uh, from him, and I don't know if he's just being um, funny or not, but in a press conference, for some reason, mm-hmm. they're like, Andy, what do you think about your critics? And he goes, oh, well, they're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> he doesn't defend anything. Because yeah, like, yeah. his critics are saying, what's up with this soup can? Yeah. This is this is nonsense. And then they even say, aren't you copying? And he's like, yeah, it's easier. Yeah. And so I think he's taking... Your uh, example to the furthest extreme. Yeah. He's like, I'm not really going to talk about my art here. Yeah. Leave me alone. Just yeah. enjoy, enjoy the soup can. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, he's, he's, not, he's not up on the stand.
1: Right. You know? So tell us a little bit about being an art preparer. I've never heard about this uh, career.
0: Um, I um, had a friend who worked. For, I, I was living in New York at the time. And uh, I had a friend who worked at um, this gallery called Leo Castelli Gallery. And I was at the time I was working as a residential house mover making 675 an hour some like heinous job right? What year was this? This was uh 89 right in New okay. York City So so is that even minimum wage? I don't know what the hell that was but it was not good Right It was not good I was living in a closet you know with, in a room with like six people you know what mm-hmm. I mean And I'm 6'6 so imagine me living in a closet you know what I'm saying <laughs> At least the closet had a window you know what I mean?
1: You look taller in your band Dengue Fever. Yeah. Than you do in this high ceiling place. Well, our
0: singer is, you know, I'm not I don't know her exact height, but it's it's somewhere between five foot and five and a half. But with heels, she's probably she could be hitting five seven. <laughs> so you six know?
1: six. I didn't know you were that so, tall. Yeah. So uh
0: I'm doing this resident house moving job and then uh and then my friend calls me up and she says, uh do you want to come like work with this artist installing some artwork? And, and I'm like, uh, uh, well, how much is like 12 bucks an hour? I said, yes. Like it was like, yeah. You know, what am I going to think about that? Uh, so needless to say, I didn't never showed up for my house, residential house moving job the next day or ever again. <laughs> it's the last time I did that work for a living. Yeah. And I started working in galleries around New York around trucks. So when I moved to LA, in, uh, or moved back to L.A. because I grew up here. Mm-hmm. In 91, um, I started working for a company called L.A. Packing. L.A. Packing and Creating. And that's what they do. They store art and they move art around to galleries, to homes, museums. Um, you know, I'm on and off a truck, but at the same time, it was the best art education anybody could possibly have. Cause you're not just looking at the front of the paintings. You're looking at the back of the paintings.
1: What's on the back.
0: Yeah. And you're talking to the people who make the paintings and the people, oh. you know, the people who make the stretcher bars, the, the people that sell the paper. It's like every, every aspect of the artwork, you know, it's like, um, uh, the people that work in the office of, of the gallery, as well as the people that, you know, work in the back room, you know? So mm-hmm. it's this, uh, um, it was incredible education in the art. I mean, I could, I could look at it. A, at a, I mean, I've, I've, I've not retained all the knowledge I once knew because when I was doing that work, I could look at probably a square inch of a painting and know who made it. You know what I mean? Whereas wow. now, you know, all that, you know, my brain isn't, it can't hold enough information, yeah. you know, for, um, anymore. But, uh, it was incredible. It was, it was a really interesting job. Yeah.
1: And so usually you were moving the art from the gallery where the customer bought it into their home or to their office.
0: Um, it was, it was, uh, we could talk about this for hours, <laughs> but, um, basically I would show up to, to the warehouse. I'd load the truck up with some stuff. We'd take it to homes. We'd take it to galleries. We'd pick up from a gallery in the same neighborhood. We'd go to a museum, drop it off at a museum, or we could be, uh, assisting an artist moving a giant sculpture all day. We could be, uh, craning a giant sculpture into someone's backyard. Whoa. Um, we could be unstretching and stretching canvases. We could be creating artwork for shipment. It's, it's pretty much, we did it all. Whatever Whatever art did, we did. Yeah. <laughs> about your band okay hey jordan
1: dengue, <laughs> dengue fever has been around for quite a while
0: yeah and uh jordan is actually sat in with us a few times
1: he has
0: yeah i think uh south by southwest he sat in and one other concert i can't remember what it was but but he sat in at least twice with us
1: you know south by southwest is one of my favorite places in the whole world
0: yeah it's a it's a good time. And the best time is South by I mean, it's all a good time. Yeah. But when the locals throw the parties kind of on the outskirts of the of what's happening on sixth. Yeah. It's really that's special because it's like uh you're entering this secret society and uh you're playing with local bands and there's there's food <laughs> being made and prepared and yeah, South by Southwest is great. But yeah, Jordan jumped on stage um, he was a really good friend with dengue fever's horn player David Rollicky. who who mostly plays saxophone in the band, right? Uh, he mostly plays sax, but mm-hmm. he plays woodwinds,
1: plays some trumpet as well. Yeah, yeah. And saxophone used to be in pop music all the time, like yeah, well, and it's kind of faded off. But but like even in ska, yeah. Springsteen, yeah. like it didn't matter. David Bowie was a saxophone player, yeah. You know, like sax used to be. The, almost the I, lead guitar. I,
0: I always joke about saxophone being like really good or really bad. Do you know? So I, I think I think uh, a lot of of the sax rock and roll saxophone is the latter. You know what I mean? So when it's really good, I'm not, I mean, oh I'm, right, right, I'm saying that when it's good, it's great. It's yeah, wonderful. But when it's bad, it adds this like real, uh, um, you know, um, you know, you can almost cringe through the notes, you know, or, or, or all of a sudden it turns it into soft rock, which is popular again. Yep. Do you know what I'm saying? Yep. So there's something about uh, the way the horn is played that can transcend all of that. It's not yeah. the instrument. It's the player. I think, I mean, I, I love sax and yep. rollicky plays the saxophone. That's, it's incredible. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, his influences are always, you know, you know, he takes, you know, jazz and Ethiopian music and he, and he. You know, uh, we've been in jam sessions after concert where we're just playing some old country songs and he'll play some country sax. Really? But like amazingly and beautiful. I don't think I've ever heard that before. Well, you know, David can do it.
1: (laughs) Uh, Let me ask you a little bit more about South by Southwest, because it seems to me that for bands, it might be a grind because there's so many opportunities to play that you might have a chance to play multiple times a day over a week or more. Yeah.
0: Dengue fever has played, I think in three days, 10, 10 gigs. Yeah. I think, um, it's fun. I, I like, I'd rather be playing. I'd rather be rushing to a concert than rushing to a party or whatever it is. But when the more gigs there is, and I see this really exciting schedule, um, those are, the, those are the most fun South by Southwest I've had. Mm-hmm. Um, I played one, I was in two bands for a while. I was in a Radar Brothers and Dengue Fever for probably about um, maybe two or three years. I was in both bands together. And one year we played South by Southwest, both bands. <laughs> and uh, so I was literally, you know, each band was probably playing five or six gigs. And so I was, at one point... Um, Dengue Fever played our last note. We're on 6th, played our last note. I didn't let the note ring out. I had packed up my bass, and I was running down the back alley, because there's an alley behind 6th, with my bass um, for about four blocks. Just ran down the alley. And when I got to the other venue, the Radar Brothers were already on stage, like ready to play, (laughs) and they looked at me, and it was just the biggest you know, that, that sigh of relief when they saw me enter the venue, they were like, Oh, <laughs> that's fun. I like that. I like that. I, I like, I like forgetting things and then, then being reminded of them and then still not knowing. And then after a few different um, ways to remember, it comes back to me. I, I like all of that, you know?
1: So let, let me explain dengue fever to uh, the people who haven't heard. It is a um, Cambodian woman. You say she's about a little taller than five feet tall. Yeah, yeah more than that. Maybe five four. I, I don't know. I don't know her height, but yeah. you know. But she's a, she's at least she's at least my height and stature, so. And she sings like a Cambodian singer. Yes. But in the background, the band mm-hmm. are a mixture of of different people. In fact, you you've played with lots of different types of uh, yeah. setups depending yeah. on what country you're in and what city you're in, uh, and. Uh, I've seen you described as psychedelic uh, mm-hmm. a little bit, which yeah. I can hear that somewhat in the keyboards. Um, yeah. But it's a nice blending of pop music with this Cambodian. Yeah, song.
0: I mean, I, I think um, I think a lot of the ways we've been defined is is the easy way to define us. Um, I think what it really is 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 six people in the band with very six different influences that we all bring together, you know, we we, if anything, we're trying to avoid emanating a sound, you know, when we first started, we played a lot of Cambodian cover songs because, um, our singer Chomni Mall, she had never played an original song. Oh. And so whenever we would bring our original music, the songs would fall flat because she really wasn't accustomed to the idea of, of creating original music and origin, original melodies and she has a repertoire of probably 200 plus Cambodian songs and so we would just pick one of those and all of a sudden we sounded like a great band because she knew those songs mm. and so by the time we made our second album which was all originals she understood and she speaks English great now but at the time she didn't speak a word so by the time we played our second record she was, she kind of understood the fact that we're you know creating something new out of something old, Mm -hmm. you know? So when we're creating our original compositions, we weren't trying to emanate the 60s Cambodian psych that we had been, that we kind of, which sparked the idea to create the band, but we were emanating ourselves, whatever that was. So it could be a surf guitar mixed with a funk, or more of a funkier rhythm section, you know? Um, You know, like you said, with horn on top, you know, and then Farfisa organ, and then as time goes, we just... You know, we played some festivals with um, Seyun Kuti, Fela Kuti's kid. And after, oh, we played, wow. after we played that tour, we must have played about four or five shows with them. All of a sudden, African rhythms start coming into our music because it's just so badass, yeah. you know? And so as we go, we kind of start picking up these things, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, you know, um, Exotica music, uh, Tropicalia from Brazil, all of these things start uh, finding its way into our music. You know, so what we are is um, whatever sounds good is, is what I think we play, you know, but it, it can't be defined as Cambodian pop or psychedelic rock or, you know, world music. I, you know, I, I don't know, mm-hmm. but we're just trying to make music that's not um, um that's not something that has been um, made or, or easily pinpointed because that's the reason why we
1: created this group was mm-hmm. to kind of challenge ourselves sonically so I, I know a little bit about your origin story that these two brothers found your singer mm-hmm. in Long Beach yeah how did they find you um, me and Zach
0: the guitar player the guy with the big beard are our old friends okay. we, met, we met in college um, well, he, he was a roommate of which some college people I knew uh, Humboldt State University really but I, I'm not sure if he's going to Humboldt State or a college of the Redwoods or both I I just know that he lived with someone I knew, and then um, and then I lived with an old friend of his, a bandmate of his, uh, from a band called Dieselhead. I lived with this guy named Virgil Shaw, who's a wonderful, he's not a this guy, he's just a wonderful artist and musician, kind of like me, does both. Um, so I met Zach back then, and he called me up in a panic saying, hey man, we got like, like 15 singers lined up to try out at this, at this rehearsal space in, in Long Beach, which Long Beach is the, the biggest Cambodian community outside of Cambodia. I never knew that. Yeah, so a Little Phnom Penh is, the, is a neighborhood there that has, um, it's just all Cambodian everywhere. And it's a great place to eat, great place to visit. It's a, it's a cool spot in Long Beach. And so so those guys had rented a rehearsal space there and invited a bunch of singers to come and try out for the band. And so he called me in a panic saying, we don't have, you know, we need to build a band because there's just the two of them. And so quickly, well, I just said, yeah, man, I was in a band called the Radar Brothers at the time, so I wasn't really ready to commit to another band. But I said, yeah, I'll go and uh, sit in with you. And so, you know, a day or two later, you know, we were sitting in and we're trying out all these singers. And after a few tryouts, Neemal, who is our singer to this day, came in and, um before she came in, we were all thinking it was a real bad idea. Like, like, <laughs> like this is not happening. Like, a lot of effort has gone into this. And we had been down there two or three times. And we were like, mm, you know, uh, this, this ain't going to happen. You know, we had bigger ideas, like, to get a bunch of singers and all this, you know, crazy ideas. And uh, then Nimal sang. And it was interesting because once she came into the room, into the practice, the other women knew her. And they stopped singing and then she sang and we were like, this is amazing. And the other singers without us even saying anything basically packed up and left. And um, and then we had another rehearsal and we used to rehearse down in Long Beach probably once or twice a week for a while until finally we were like, how about you come to LA instead of us (laughs) coming?" you know, and then she started coming up to LA and, uh, but you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it's similar to my visual art where you hit on something and and once that's done, something else shows itself. Mm-hmm. Once that's done, something else shows itself. It's not some big giant thing that happens. It's just, oh, that sounds like fun. Oh, that sounds like fun. Oh, maybe make a record. Oh, that's made. Once that's made, oh, go on the road. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, it's a, It's not, um, you know, just the book, you know, the pages are
1: being written as the pages flip. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, uh, it, it seems like you were beloved by the critics almost right away. I, am I misunderstanding that? Well, I, I think so, and I think that's uh, a, a lot due to
0: Nimal, our singer, because she is um, incredibly powerful as well as vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And to this day, when you see her perform, it is it is amazing because the audience is immediately on her side, like we want you to win. You know, and it's um and she's had the most insane life. Most I mean, she lived in a Thai refugee camp from three to twelve. Oh, wow. She didn't go indoors until she was twelve years old. She never <gasps> even entered a building. You know what I mean? Wow. You know, and um this woman, you know, comes from that, you know, uh, you know, because she was a refugee from the Khmer Rouge, you know, mm-hmm. in Pol Pot in Cambodia. It was, you know, a, a genocide that happened in Cambodia, which we don't really learn about in this country. Yeah. That was a result of what Americans did, which after the Vietnam war. Uh, so I guess it's not such a favorable, a favorable pass for us to, to, um, alliterate on here in our schools, but, uh, we we only want happy history (laughs) for the kids, happy history for our children. (laughs) But so she was a victim of that. Right. And, uh, you know, and then she ends up coming to this country when she was, a, a teenager. And, uh, it's you know this thing you see her you know and she's just she's got her her thing together her life together and she always has even back when we met her you know but to know that you know when we're those first tours it was one hotel room where we we're crashing at people's houses or you know we've even camped out a few times <laughs> on the road uh you think about it and we're like i hope Nimal's gonna be all right and then we realize she's the toughest one in the band <laughs>
1: Let's talk about uh, venues in L.A. Mm-hmm. There's so many venues in L.A. Yeah. And first of all, how long have, has Dengue been together?
0: Uh, I would say 20 years at this point. Okay. Yeah, 20 so, years.
1: So I feel like you've probably played every place that you've wanted to play in L.A. I think
0: so. I, You know, we played the um, Hollywood Bowl. We opened up uh, for Grace Jones probably, I don't know, eight years ago, something like wow. that. Wow. And uh, I could have quit right then. Right. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm done. Play the Hollywood Bowl. Did you get to meet her? Uh, No, but the beautiful thing was is the after party in her bed. So um, when we arrived to Soundcheck, we had bought a $300 bouquet of flowers. For grace? For grace. Like this incredible thing with like long wispy tails, this giant, beautiful, beautiful um, display of flowers. And so we had one of her people bring it to her. And um, uh, we played our shows, the shows were great. And then afterwards the after party was in her was in her backstage area at the Hollywood Bowl. And in the center of her of her party was the big, the big bouquet that we had brought her. So, yeah. you know, that's enough for me. I mean, I saw her. She was hanging out. But, you know, it's like she's <laughs> hanging with Patti LaBelle. Uh, do I like, oh, hey, you know, you know, I'm just going to let the party play play itself.
1: And, and she might I mean? flip on you, too. <laughs> yeah. I'm real sure.
0: I thought having that big, that bouquet of
1: flowers at the center of her party was like, was enough for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I imagine growing up in L.A., you'd seen lots of shows at the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah, what was it like being on stage? Um, it was great. It was, it was incredible. Um,
0: um, can, you know, can you, uh, can
1: you see the whole audience? When yeah. On stage? Yeah.
0: You could see everything, you know, if you look up, you know, often, um, I think performers and myself, I think we're all kind of included. A lot of them are um, inward, like even if you're looking out, sometimes you don't see, you know, yeah. it's a very inward experience. You know, cause you, you are inviting all of these eyes to be staring at you. And it's interesting cause you have all these eyes staring at you. And then whenever I look out and I make eye contact with somebody in the crowd, that person immediately shrinks away. Like, you know, it's, it's interesting to have, um, this, this, you know, like the eyes are very powerful when you're on stage, mm-hmm. you know, and you could feel it, but yeah, you could see everything when you're on stage, you know, and we were, you know, we were playing at dusk, so there was still light out when we were oh, cool. performing. So yeah, we could see the entire crowd, and it was, it was a full house. And it was, um, it was wonderful, you know? I mean, it sounded incredible on stage.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it, yeah, the whole thing was great. It
1: was, let's go, it was great. Let's go back a little bit. What were okay. some of your favorite shows as a uh, concert goer at the Hollywood Bowl?
0: Um, um, as a child, I went to the um, Playboy Jazz Festival almost every year. Really? Yeah, growing up. And so that was always a really good time to a point to where I would have freedom. Um, uh, I I remember one year, uh, um, I don't know, it might have been with, uh, somehow my mother knew someone who knew um, Maya Rudolph's parents. Yeah. And then I ended up tripping around with Maya. But we were tiny. We were really small. And I remember being backstage and running around. That was a lot of fun. Um, Nina Simone played one of the years and it was kind of memorable cause she played, but didn't play because she wanted the crowd to really be quiet and they weren't being quiet enough for her. And so she ended up playing a very, if I don't even know if she played a note, but she came on and came off, but that was very memorable. I later saw her at the, uh, Wiltern, which was great. Yeah. Um,
1: were, were people quiet for her there? Yeah,
0: it was incredible. <laughs> Um, I, at another time that what, I mean, that wasn't the Playboy jazz festival was Peter Tosh. I saw a play there, which was incredible. Yeah. But, um, uh, do you pack a picnic basket when you go
1: to the, uh, bowl?
0: Generally? Yes. I used to go there just with wine. I used to go there on the, they used to have dollar tickets for the LA Phil. Yeah, And so I used to show up with buddies and we just bring wine and hang out, you know, Yeah, and we'd always start at the back, but there was always empty seats and we'd work our way up. And Mm -hmm. that was always really a nice time. Yeah.
1: Behind you. I see a cassette, uh, rack, which, Uh um, I think you're Gen X. I'm Gen X too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is, this is a staple of our, of our lives. Yeah. And and
0: those are pretty much my collection from back then. I have big boxes Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I've bought a lot of stuff recently because um, a lot of record stores have cassette sections now yeah. when they didn't used to. Yeah. But I have a boombox here at the studio. So I, I see your boombox. Yeah. Box. So, so I play a lot of but cassette. I, but I
1: want to let the, the audience know what I can see from here. I uh. see Ice Cube, Kill It Will. I see uh, Stanley Turnteen. Uh. I think that says MCA. I thought he was a, yeah. a Blue Note guy. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh. I I'll I will add uh, some, mm-hmm. some money to my meter in just a minute. Okay. I see the Happy Mondays. Mm-hmm. Um it, it's hard to look at all the uh yeah, rap volume 5. <laughs> Here's
0: some Metallica, some greatest blues hits, Willie Nelson, Two Nice Girls. Yeah. Why do I know
1: Two Nice Is that is Frank and Two I Nice Girls? I don't know. Boingo, Boingo, Frank Sinatra. So what I'm what I'm trying to put is a whole variety of music. Yes. Yes. Which is which is what you want to see when you go into a party and you see somebody's music collection. Yeah is this is a well-rounded person. Yeah, well, you know, it's, uh, it's
0: uh, I think Charles Mingus said it's called music, you know? They are trying to find him as jazz music. He's like, How's, how about music? There's good music and bad music, you know? And it's really true, you know? It's like if you start dividing up by genre and then deciding that's how you're deciding how you like music, then it's, you're kind of closed and you're shutting yourself down, you know I love what I mean? Because, I mean, I think you could take anyone who's into heavy metal... And and give them a whole assortment of jazz records that they're going to get into. That's right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And vice versa. You know what I mean? Um, Dengue Fever played this festival out in Vegas called Psycho Las Vegas, and it was a metal festival. And we we're like, why in the hell are we being booked at a heavy metal festival? And we're being booked there because the promoters love us. Nice. You know, and we went to this festival, and I was really blown away by the um, by the um, how eclectic metal music is and was and what they booked there. I mean, there's some dirge bands that were, it was art. It wasn't metal. It was like art music. Then there were seances and really dark stuff that was like really frightening, you know, (laughs) and it was exciting because it was, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, um, I was actually, my, my mind was actually blown by, by the, by what is defined under this, this metal genre, you know? So, and there we were, Dengue Fever, Being thrown into this You know what I mean And the audience embraced you It was great It was great
1: Obviously, the Hollywood Bowl is a favorite yeah, for any yeah, natives. Yeah. What about clubs? What What's uh, one or two of your favorite clubs in LA? Um. Well, we got our
0: start at Spaceland. Did you? Uh, yeah, really? I think that's where our first concert might have been at Spaceland. So we played Spaceland Inside and Out. R.I.P. Um, Spaceland, huh? What's that? Yeah. Rest
1: yeah, in peace. Yeah. So, gone. so is this like '98, '97?
0: No, it was 2002 or three. 2002 okay. maybe is when we kind of gotten started.
1: So this was when the stage was on the other side because they moved Yeah,
0: th- No. Uh, they had just moved? They had moved because my older band, the Radar Brothers, played on the other side. Right. I think Dengue Fever might have been... Uh, it had, The stage had already moved. This I, makes I
1: all the sense in the world. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. You, you mentioned a phrase that I haven't heard in a long time, world music. Yeah. And it does it never had the the best connotation.
0: Well, I came out of punk rock when I was a kid, oh. you know. So I was going to a lot of punk rock shows when I was a kid. So world music and punk rock were not really uh you know, and that's about closing your mind off. Right. But but I think that especially because of the internet, um kids from everywhere can form their own musical opinion and when they listen to African music, that's not the world music that we think of. Yes, we think of these guys, uh, mainly white men dressed in like Guatemalan pants with a bongo (laughs) drum. You know, that's what I think of with the world music. And it's very stereotypical way of thinking of it. But that's was my image as a child of what world music was. And it wasn't great. Yeah. But I think world music is now is, is just basically just the one word for, you know, Turkish music. African music. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, Guatemalan music, whatever, Mm -hmm. Brazilian music has fallen under this umbrella. So world music is less of a bad word or isn't at all really. But I think it's maybe it's like, it's like, uh, so we talked about genres of music and closing yourself off. It's like kids don't have to be now. Right. They just go boop, hit one button and they you know The sounds of Soweto All of a sudden Are, are in their head And they're, they go What is this Then they start learning About the history Of South Africa mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean It's like a, a Fela Kuti I mean I mean w- w- That's called Afrobeat Right Right Well when we were kids That would have been Called world music mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying
1: What I'm saying though About Spaceland Is it makes all the sense In the world mm-hmm. That Not only would they Book you mm-hmm. But that you'd be Embraced Among Yeah Were they even called hipsters in 2000? Whatever they were. Yeah, yeah. Whatever they were. Young people in Silver Lake. Yeah. um, Or Echo Park, whoever was coming around there, Mm -hmm. um, of course would love you because it's something different. You're also musical. So I also love punk rock, but I wouldn't necessarily call that musical. I'd call that emotional. Yeah. Yeah. but you guys are truly musicians, yeah. and it's something different. So, yes, you can drink a beer out of a, a glass boot and, and and smoke a little weed in that back room. Yeah. But when you come out of that back room and you see dengue fever out there, yeah. well, this is something I want to tell my friends about. Yeah. Because this is different. Definitely different.
0: Definitely different.
1: Yeah. Um. Were you Were you embraced... In, in a positive way, pretty much everywhere you guys were? Yeah,
0: yeah. It was, it was very positive always. But it's like what I said about Nimal. It's like she instantly has this power, but also this vulnerability. So it's, it's like, you know, it's like what is there to, um, what do you want to rebel against with us? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that um, uh, we're easily digestible, but at the same mm-hmm. time, it's like what's bad about what we're doing?
1: Well, you're also being uh, uh, very uh, humble. Yeah. Because if there were a bunch of frat boys behind her playing exactly the same music, it wouldn't come across.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think, um, you know, uh, when uh, Zach and Ethan, who are the brothers in the band, uh, they got turned on to, well, all of us got turned on to music, uh, Cambodian music, through this tape called Cambodia Rocks. And it's like a cassette tape that had no information at all that was circulating that we all got separately and really and like i remember zach saying you heard this oh man this guy in new york gave me this you know and uh so i had a copy he had a copy and so it's it was this psychedelic cambodian music because when when vietnam war was happening there was american airwaves cranking hendrix and surf music and the mamas and the papas and you know um all of these, uh, you know, surf and psych music and the kinks and whatever was being cranked over the the v- Vietnamese airwaves, which was so strong that the Cambodians, the Vietnamese, the Thai, they all got this music on the radio. Mm. So they started their own bands. Yeah. And so uh, the Cambodian music has a very strong um, Cambodian melodies and rhythms. But also very strong was the psychedelic influence of, of the music they're making at this time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, th- so this was this cassette tape that was incredible. And so it drove Zach and Ethan found out from this guy, this Cambodian dude, they were playing pool with that. There's this Cambodian scene down in Long Beach. And so they're, Oh, let's go see if we can find some of this music. And so they went down there and what was popular was more of like a canto pop sound, you know, synth drum machine. And, mm. and so they were playing some of these old songs in, in, Little Cambodia, but they're playing them in a very, you know, canto pop way. And um, and so that's when the light went off. Well, what if we're the band and we find a singer? So I think, um, I think, yes, it has a lot to do with us backing her up and creating the sound and writing original material, too, which is uh, mm-hmm. something that it's just something we've always done as band. The, the guys in the band, that's what we do. We write music. We re-record it
1: that's what we do you know the fact that you all got this tape at the same time yeah from different sources yeah I don't see a lot of religious motifs in your in what I'm seeing in your Mm -hmm. art are you a religious person not a religious person no what how do you explain that you all got this tape just kismet the universe Um, wanted this
0: well you know I think part of me not being religious is also not having a need to have
1: everything explained do you know what I mean? <laughs> what astro- astrology sign are you?
0: Uh, Virgo. Um, so like I'm okay Virgo. with mystery. I'm okay with not knowing. I'm okay with not understanding. You know what I mean? It's like there is a lot of scientific um, theories that definitely are more intriguing and more amazing than the, than the God theory. Do you right? know what I mean? So why not go with something that's a little bit more interesting and even stranger do you know what I mean?
1: It is strange that you all got... Have you guys yeah. all gotten the same tape of something else? Um, no, but... <laughs> Which is strange. But
0: it was a lot more than just me and the bandmates that got this tape.
1: You know what I mean? Right. It,
0: it was something that was incredibly good. It was getting spread you know? around because it yeah, was Yeah, because it was too good. It yeah. was too good. The music was too wonderful to hide. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and there was, But I think the thing is, is that we didn't have any particular affinity for this music... Other than it was really good, but what it was was a good idea. You know, having a little Cambodia town not that far away, little Phnom Penh, not that far away. It was all like, you know, we had the ingredients. We just needed to cook. You know what I mean?
1: This couldn't have happened in Iowa. Yeah. Probably not.
0: Bring Humboldt. But definitely not Humboldt. (laughs) (laughs) But Iowa, there might be some, you know what I mean? There might be an enclave of, uh, of some indigenous folks that have some pretty strong melodies that you can mix with psychedelic music and something interesting will come out. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's a matter of having the um, the uh, seeing something through. It's like it's like it's like you know you have some brilliant idea, right? You're like, oh man, I have this idea, but it's only an idea unless you do it, right? Do you know what I mean? Right. And there's some ideas that I will never do, and I'm so happy to share those because they're they're <laughs> fucking brilliant you're so brilliant but you know what you could have it this is for you yeah. you know what I mean because I'll never do it yeah
1: Talk about your neighborhood. Yeah. Okay. Um, I like this neighborhood mm-hmm. because I bought some tamales at your corner. Oh, yeah. From a lady from a, and you even said, oh, from the cooler? Did you yeah, have a cooler yeah. of this stuff? Yeah. And um, I always see people at this corner. And I think that woman's El Salvadorian
0: because the tamales are a little juicier, they a are. little wetter.
1: They're but, sloppy, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. a little spicy. Yeah. Uh, no English. She knows, knows no English. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, a customer had to translate yeah. for us. There, yeah, there's this restaurant
0: called uh, El Comal. It's a Mexican place around the corner. And um, I love this restaurant called La Yamarada, which was in uh, Lincoln Lincoln Heights. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to drive over there and get their food and then go hit the go St. Um, Vinny's to, um, thrift store over there. Oh, uh-huh. It was like a weekend pil- pilgrimage I used to do every weekend, every other weekend, and during the pandemic, La Yamarada shut, and their machaca, their huevos rancheros was, you know, I mean, it was something I've been eating for 20 years, and the vibe and the joint and the same uh, couple ran the place, Mm -hmm. and Sally was one of the waitresses there who was just, would put cilantro on your table and say, and and she'd say, marijuana? Um, what
1: did she mean by that?
0: Yeah, I don't know what she meant by this. Was she, was, she trying to sell you some weed? No, she was just joking like, oh, okay. like here's your marijuana, but it, it was cilantro. <laughs> it was a joke that, that, that hopefully she only had with me, at least that's how I felt. <laughs> and um, it shut during the pandemic, and one day I was here at the studio, and I go, let me check out this Mexican joint, and I got the machaca. And it just brought back like the flavor. It's so good, man. Yeah, As I'm telling all my friends I used to go to La Uyam, La Uyamrata with to come over here for lunch, and not one of them has yet. And when they do, they're gonna cry because they're gonna eat that and they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna like be taken back. You know. So I this
1: mean? place is on Santa Monica.
0: Santa Monica, yeah.
1: Okay, near the Santa one- Monica
0: and Western, and it's like a little mini mall called El Comal. And I'm saying it because I want them to have business. I, want them, I don't want them to close.
1: It's on the north side of Santa Monica.
0: Yeah, north side. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so those of you who use Santa Monica um, on your way to the 101 freeway. Yeah, it's right next to the 101. Just pull over real quick.
0: Yeah, get a burrito, get whatever. Whatever I've gotten from them is really good. And they have soups. And there's always people in there eating big bowls of soup. Mm-hmm. And um, the soup is amazing. Anyways, it's a it's a great little. It's definitely family run. Yeah. You know, it's um, it's a really beautiful little tiny hole in the wall.
1: Were you in this studio when the Latino record store was across the street on Santa Monica? No, because I've been
0: here for probably close to four years my studio has been on on okay. Western. So it wasn't there. Yeah. That was an empty lot for the longest time. Yeah. Until they built that place. I'm not even going to mention across the way, which was like a really waste of space. Don't say what it is. It's the, just a waste of space. The fast food place? Yeah. Okay. It's just a waste of space. You know, you have this beautiful empty lot, right? Okay. That empty lot's beautiful. <laughs> and you start, you know, I start fantasizing about what's going to happen with this space. Yeah. Right. What, it, what were your fantasies? Um, I I could have used uh, a little pocket park would have been nice. Oh, um, maybe some maybe some sort of a building that became like a like a swap meet. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, ooh, maybe it, maybe it turned into one of those food truck lots.
1: Yes, you know what I mean.
0: Um, Be- because uh, Western here is a great place for food. Yeah, no, it's a great place for food.
1: But uh, which is why this place that is closed on Sundays. Yeah, probably slipped in there. Yeah. Well, anyway. Wasn't that a Burger King before it became an empty lot? Uh, I feel like it was the I worst Burger King in it, LA. It was. It was
0: an empty lot when I moved in four years ago. Yeah. And it sat that way for a couple years. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But um, but this neighborhood is still has grit, you know, and it yes. is getting mixed and it is getting gentrified. But on weekends, it's beautiful because on weekends there's a few clubs around here that really go off. All the street vendors come out on the weekends. Um, so weekends are really beautiful right here at Santa Monica and Western.
1: When you say clubs, you mean Latino clubs, Latino clubs and the gold diggers around the corner, which is
0: a, which is a great little club. There's another bar, which I haven't, haven't gone to, which, um, which is some sort of a dance club. I don't know much about it, but, Mm -hmm. um, and then there's another
1: bar. Hold on. Gold diggers used to be a strip club. Yeah. Now they play music there and bands play.
0: Bands play, yeah, and they got a, a hotel upstairs and a studio in the back. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the place is—it's a really like, a,
1: like maybe ten-room hotel, something like that. Yeah, small, small hotel. Yeah, but it, it's a—it's a great place. Um, kind of a dingy stretch because it's across the street from an abandoned Sears.
0: Well, I heard that Sears is going to become is has it's going to be a long term, but it has some plans to be um, uh, opened up to be retail spaces. But oh. but but with a lot of outdoor area. Oh, so but it's um, so
1: you might get your park.
0: Yeah, it might be. The plans are down the road for that. But something's going to happen there.
1: That'd be fantastic, because I, I think um, whatever that school is on sunset near Netflix, mm-hmm. they don't have a lot of places to just hang out. Yeah. You know, they've got a football field and that's it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there isn't really a lot of green space. And, and you've got Floyd here. Where is where does Floyd? There is a park actually a few blocks away, but he just we
0: got the courtyard here. He just he's a studio dog. But, but he just hangs he, out. He wants to smell other dogs. Oh, he goes for walks. He he knows we're talking about him. He's he just sure does. And he's like looking up. But
1: he's uh, like he's like I'm no yeah. dummy. Are you a coffee drinker? I am a coffee drinker. You have one of the newest Starbucks drive-throughs in your neighborhood. Oh, I do. Yeah. Oh, where is that? On Western, on oh. your way to the the Target that took forever to get to. Oh yeah. Built.
0: Oh, I didn't know about that. You never been there? I go to La Manarca if I want a cup of coffee. Uh,
1: also, on Santa Monica. Yeah,
0: yeah, right there in the corner. La Manarca is great because it's it's like a Starbucks, but it's a Mexican Starbucks. You know <laughs> what makes it Mexican? Uh, you can get a what's it called? It's called like a uh, you know you, it's like that horchata flavor in your coffee. Uh huh. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like the Mex. If you get a if you get a mocha, it's the Mexican chocolate with the cinnamon and the nutmeg flavors. Uh huh. So it's um. And they got a panderia inside, and you can get um, chorizo tacos. It's like a it's like a little coffee shop. That's uh, they have a few around town.
1: Yeah, but it's really good. Okay, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. Mm. Is this an adult movie house? Oh, Sam? the Tiki Tea Not Tiki Tea, Because that's the 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 tiki, that's Oh the, yeah, What's that's that, the bar. That's called Los the Los Tiki Fielder. Hut. I think it's just called Tiki.
0: It's just called Tiki. I yeah think. yeah yeah. It's not the Tiki i I'm asking yeah. you. Yeah, it's definitely an adult um, uh, movie theater, but I think it's um, it's gnarly. It's have you poked gnarly. your head in there? I have about 20 years ago. What did you see? Um, I went in there and, um, um, and there was uh, holes uh, uh, smashed through the walls so you'd pay your entrance fee a couple bucks and then there was these plumbing... Pipes that went through the wall, and the guy in inside behind the bulletproof glass would pull these two poles back. Wow! You know, with that were smashed through, like the, the You know, I mean, it wasn't a turnstile. It was like these these plumbing poles that were just jammed through the wall that kept you from going in. And then he'd pull the poles back, and you go inside. And <laughs> it was a small theater. This is thirty years ago. Yeah, it was a small theater with like maybe four aisles. Yeah, with uh, tissue paper dispensers on the arm. No, I'm just kidding. I made that up. <laughs>
1: But <laughs> well, maybe those poles are to stop the cops from busting Pee Wee Herman.
0: Yeah, I guess so. And then uh, and they had porn films running.
1: Uh-huh. And
0: then this woman came out and did a dance in front of the, with the projection. So the projection was right on her. And I remember her wearing this hat that you would wear to uh, the Renaissance Festival. <laughs> and she was wearing bikini bottoms and sweatbands on her wrists. And... Uh, And it was like a, um, it was the opposite of a turn on. Right. And it was um, a really wild, it was like being in a Fellini movie or something like that. It was a really trippy experience. And uh, and I was by myself and I sat there for a while and then, um, you know, curiosity overtook me and, and satisfied me (laughs) because I haven't been back. Since that 30 years ago experience. But, and somehow um, it stayed still in business. It's still there. It's still there. Because
1: I, I look at this as primo real estate. Yeah. Even though even though there's a lot of mom and pop shops yeah. around here, which is what we love. There's also some big stores like uh, El Polo Yoko and T-Mobile. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, there's Taco Bell around the corner.
0: Yeah. but But for every fast food place, there is at least three or four mom-and-pop restaurants, you know? And there's a 99-cent store. It's not called 99-cent store. It's called uh, the Shine Bargain next door where they sell, and it's right next to my studio. So whenever I need a little screw, they have it. Whenever I need uh, some sort of kitchen utensil, they have it. Whenever I need uh, a gift for somebody, they have something. Like, it's this incredible Mm -hmm. shop. But it's a mom and pop shop. Yes. You know what I mean? And so there's all these little funky markets and like, you know, one has the best plastic uh, tablecloth covers and one has the best (laughs) broom and one has the best this and that. Um, So all of these little markets are actually mom and pop shops. Yeah. You know, Uh, you can go into one that sells stuff in the front, but then you could buy a cell phone, uh, you know, a a calling card in the back or something, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, my daughter's uh, screen of her phone busted. And so I went to the little phone repair, and it was the most funkiest storefront I ever f- saw. But they fixed her screen for 60 bucks. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, so for every big shop, there's a dozen little, tiny, little, funky shops.
1: Was this the original Dave's Hot Chicken?
0: Um, I don't know if it's the original.
1: Because I remember seeing a line every time I would yeah drive by. Yeah. And now I see Dave's. In numerous places, yeah,
0: I, it's it's been there since I've been here, and mm-hmm. it's um, all the way up until the pandemic. Lines down the block, yeah. I think they got the whole uh, call-in thing dialed, so you could just call your you call your shit in and just go pick it up. You don't it, have to wait. It changed. It, they have a big tabletop with just like bags on it, so I think they're doing the same biz. Yeah, but it's you don't have to line up to get it. Right, you know. Um, there's a little tortilla press with this giant machine down the street, really, where yeah. they press the corn tortillas. Um, uh, and then they go on a conveyor belt and they go through this machine. It's like a f- factory. And then, they, then these like fluffy, perfect corn tortillas pop out the oh. other side. Yeah. Is that on Western? It's on Western, just down uh, the first mini mall on the left. Wow. And uh, um.
1: so people are sleeping on uh, yeah, East Hollywood. Yeah.
0: And there's this place called Gia. God, I wish I could remember it, but I get sandwiches from there. Uh, it's an Italian place that makes really beautiful sandwiches. If you just go down to Melrose on the right, Mm -hmm. um, it's a little, uh, Italian delicatessen. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that I'm meaning to try that I haven't tried. Yeah. You know,
1: on, on your way to Melrose Uh across the street. So on the Western side, have you been to sunshine Thai? No, I haven't. You feel like you're in these people's living rooms. Oh, I got I'll go. Like it's, it's, it's so small. it's before Melrose. Yeah, so, so I, could, I, Melrose. I could probably walk there from yeah. there. Yeah,
0: yeah, okay. Yeah,
1: it, it. This is now that we're talking about it, a very yeah. funky neighborhood. Yeah, in a great way. Yeah, a lot of independent uh, vendors and stores yeah. and places to go, and I, I, I hope it doesn't get demolished. But I don't think it will. It's so big mm-hmm. and it's so vibrant. Yeah, and like you said, the the chicken place that shall not be named can't ruin this. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's uh, I don't
0: know where's the closest uh, metro stop because I think that really changes stuff. It does. You I know? would say
1: up Western in
0: uh, Western Sunset. Isn't
1: there one up yep, there? Yeah, Western town. Sunset.
0: So I don't think there's going to be one closer. So maybe this maybe this neighborhood's is there gonna another one coming? I don't know. Nope. So I think this neighborhood might be kind of stable for yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> You know, but it is changing. A lot of those um, houses are being demolished for uh, those multi-unit places.
1: Right. As long as that Sears store doesn't turn into gazillion dollar condos. Because I've seen on Wilton. I don't think it is going to be. Good. I don't think it is going to be. Good.
0: Um, But there are are coming up. They are coming up. Yeah. You know. But a a lot of them are so quickly and shoddily built that I, I really don't know if they really have the power to change things all that much except to... Um, make the neighborhood less visually attractive. You yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a lot of uh, single-family homes, and then there's Melrose Hill. That's right there, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful neighborhood. Which I've I didn't know anything about Melrose Hill until a few years ago, and I I made a made a wrong turn, or a right turn. I don't know to circumvent some traffic on the way over here. All of a sudden, I was in this little, little tranquil, windy road. <laughs> You know who would who would think right off of Western is is a spot like this? Yeah, you know what I mean. So well,
1: who would have thought that there is a, a beautiful art studio yeah. right next to the weed store? Yeah, and a musician for one of LA's most beloved bands. Mm-hmm. Thank you for spending time with me today. Well,
0: thank you, and I, and I hope uh, I hope the listeners out here uh, uh, can pick something from this, maybe a fresh fruit or something.
1: Are you guys going to be playing anytime soon?
0: Uh, January. 2023 at the Lodge Room in um out in Highland Park. Okay. And uh this band called Low Hum, which is a friend of mine's band, is opening, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a great show.
1: Have you played the Lodge Room before?
0: No, but I've been to it, and I, I like the venue.
1: Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Didn't uh, Yeah Yeah Yeahs play there recently?
0: They could have. I uh, think they
1: warmed up there for their big tour. Okay. Okay. That also included the Hollywood Bowl.
0: Oh yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, it's a great venue. It's um. You know, it's a new venue, but it's an old room. It's got really mm. good really good vibes, really good sound. It's a good spot. All right, well, yeah. we'll see you guys
1: on the road in 2023.
0: All right, thanks, Tony. Thank you. Yeah.
1: How great was CNN? You know who we'd see dengue fever with? Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, Jordan, you turn us on to the best people, neighborhoods, and musician. Here's bundles of unmarked bills. So shout out to our Patreons, Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Greinke, Ben Welsh, Jen Adams, Trevor Wilson, Bree Wild, Dougie Gyro, Christina Up North, Robin Carey, and Adam Shorn. Want to support this fine podcast that features beautiful souls like she- CNN? Go to patreon.com slash hereinLA and give till it hurts. Also, shout out to our Angelinos. To be an Angelino, all you gotta do is PayPal is 25 bucks or more, and we will list you on the Here in LA website that Mark Johnson is still working on, cause it's hard, and I'm not helping, so he's on his own, or on the Medium blog uh, forever. Just PayPal your hard-earned cash to busbloggmail.com. Wanna support us, but you've just been sentenced to four months in the federal pen for contempt of Congress? Uh, you, even you can still help. Post your favorite episode on your Facebook. Oh my God, post two. In fact, I don't know if anybody's ever posted three. Break the world's record and post three of our, we've done 70 of these things. So you can just post one, it's cool. Tweet something nice about this. In fact, anytime you see me tweeting about an episode, oh my God, retweet it. It's like this, bloop, retweet. That's all it is. Bloop. And for God's sake, like Molly, tell your friends. Tell them how Here in LA is spelled and that it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and even Amazon. Here in LA is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and a man who can play the guitar like he's ringing a bell, Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Orgone, Dengue Fever, and Jordan Katz. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen for inspiring this, and musicians and artists everywhere who are making the unusual, undefinable, super brand new, punk rockin' spirit. Magical stuff that might not reach all of the masses, but warms the hearts of those who encounter it. Keep Keep rockin'. rockin'!